0: Welcome to Banking in the Shadows, a podcast that shines a spotlight on the worlds of financial and cybercrime, how it impacts the global financial system, and the people, organisations and agencies tasked with fighting it. Hi, I'm Anita Hawser, Europe Editor at The Banker. In this episode of Banking in the Shadows, we're looking at financial crime and fraud from the perspective of one of Europe's fastest-growing fintechs, UK-based Bank, which has acquired more than 150,000 customers and over 800 million in deposits since its launch in 2022, With that type of rapid growth, obviously it's important to keep customers safe and ensure accounts are not being used to receive criminal or fraudulent funds. To lift the lid on how fraud and financial crime is actually managed within a digital challenger bank, I'm joined by Angela Wakelin, Chief Operating Officer, and Rafalina Arthur, Head of Financial Crime and MLRO at Crew Bank. Angela and Rafalina welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thank you for having us. Yeah, great to be here. I
0: wanted to start um, to get an idea... Um, from a new challenger bank of of sort of what's it like to sort of get off the ground and both of you have really sort of an enviable track record in terms of banks that you've worked at previously. Angela, let's start with you. You've worked in both High Street and challenger banks. You started in NatWest. I did. A long time ago. <laughs> In 1987, before becoming Director of Risk and Operations at Royal Bank of Scotland, you then went on to work at Santander and Shawbrook Bank. Did any of that prepare you for the phenomenal pace of growth that you've seen at Crew Bank?
2: So as I said, 1987 is a long time ago. So I guess in that time, I've seen a lot of things happen happen in the UK, in the banking industry. And I've worked in a number of organisations, some big, some small, some new entrants, like Crew that I, I am now with. And during that time, I guess I've seen the economy at various different stages. I've seen uh growth in those businesses i've seen slow down and harder times so i guess you bring all of that experience Uh, to what I'm doing today and you know that will be some somewhere a lot of building operations um, a lot of transforming operations a lot of growing operations so I try and bring all of that to crew and use that experience that I've got to build build what is we think uh, and hope is going to be a new force in in banking.
0: It must be difficult, though, because I know at the beginning there were some sort of teething problems because there were so many people trying to open accounts at Crewe. Um, And this was during the cost of living crisis where people were sort of taking money out of high street banks, looking for some kind of decent rate on their savings. And I know there were some initial Ten day delays perhaps, and 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 sort of headlines saying digital bank crew keeps swathe of angry customers waiting for weeks to open accounts. So how did you manage that from an operations perspective?
2: Yes, I mean, it was uh, it was and we've had exponential growth and managing that sort of demand, is um a nice problem to have, but clearly you know we understand that some customers had to wait a couple of weeks because we got something like I think about eight thousand downloads in thirty minutes kind of during one uh one period of time earlier in the year, so managing that sort of demand it's hard to predict for that and um You know, of course, we expected there to be interest in the fact that we were offering a market leading um, interest rate on our current account. And that was something that was quite different in the marketplace. So we knew there would be, you know, a good level of interest, but you can never, I guess, predict how successful or not that's going to be. Uh, For us, it was and has been great and continues to be great. We continue to grow our customer base, as you said, to 150,000 customers that we've got as of today. And um, I think in terms of managing that, it's about having options. So important that during that time, you're constantly communicating with customers to let them know how long the delays are, how long they have to wait. And we shouldn't. Forget that actually the majority of customers were able to open their accounts with Crow in a matter of minutes, so that 's the intention. but for some customers and we'll come on to you know some of the checks that you might need to do for customers is it, it meant that there were um, some delays and up to ten days or you know around two weeks and We managed to recover from that. We had got additional resources that we were able to tap into. Um, We had a waiting lounge that we were able to put some customers into that just helped manage expectations. Um, A number of things that you're able to do. And that's the important thing is that you've got some options, but importantly, that you constantly communicate with customers. And right now, I mean, you know, we are, and for some time now, have been, you know, up to date with all of our applications and onboarding our our new accounts are growing at a steady rate. Our trust pilot scores are excellent we're delighted with that we're top amongst our most relevant competitors when it comes to service. Our customer satisfaction scores that we monitor are in the top quartile so where we are now, we learn a lot always about what we can do next time. And um, hopefully, as I said, just continue to have options to manage from an operations perspective.
0: Now, this is a financial crime podcast. So, Rafalina, when you have so many people wanting to open an account at a new digital challenger bank, that must be every fin crime sort of person like yourselves nightmare, Can you tell us a little bit about some of the challenges it threw up for
1: you? Sure, I think one of the key things in the FinCrime space and onboarding uh, checks, uh, when you have a surge uh, in applications or a surge of tasks to do, what is really key is having access to data. So data in terms of where are people falling at uh, in the application process, where that friction is, data in terms of how long it's taking to process a specific type of check, Is there any efficiencies we can make in any of the checks or manual processes? Um, And we really use data to help us make those decisions and then improve the processes as we go along. And I think that was also a key way we we managed that surge at the beginning of the year.
0: Some of the challenger banks have been criticised by not focusing enough on risk management and financial crime and fraud. Do you think that criticism is warranted?
1: No, <laughs> I do not think it's necessarily warranted. And, and that's for, uh, I guess, a number of reasons. Uh, I guess the first reason why I think it's slightly un, uh, unwarranted is that a lot of fintechs are actually in a great position to be ahead of uh, the trends in financial crime. And what do I mean by that? I mean, a lot of fintechs um, don't have uh, legacy systems, for example, where they are reliant on rules uh, and monitoring that were set up years and years ago and perhaps not so relevant for current financial crime trends. The other reason why uh, I think fintechs are actually better placed um, is that they have uh, access to the data they need at the right time. And as I mentioned before, that is really key not only for managing operations in surges, but it's also really key in managing your financial crime risk. So there are quite a few things that I feel like fintechs are actually a better place to do.
0: And can you give us a sort of an idea of, so somebody's coming to the Crew app, they're opening in a, their account. What, what kind of checks go on behind the scenes to sort of,
1: you know, before you let them open an account? Yeah, uh, so any bank, fintech or not, <laughs> there are uh, some standard KYC, so know your customer uh, checks. So you may ask for somebody's identity document or a video selfie, and essentially that check is to make sure that that person who is applying for the account is who they say they are. You want to make sure Raffalina Arthur is actually Raffalina Arthur. And that ensures that not only uh, we're giving the accounts to the right person, um, but we're also protecting others from uh, potentially bad actors. There are other checks that we do in the uh, background as well. uh, And again, a lot of it is centred towards, are we giving an account to the right person and to somebody who's not necessarily going to cause uh, harm for others? So Angela, can you give us an idea
0: of you know, how operations and the financial crime and fraud team led by Raffelina, sort of how you work together?
2: Yes, we work very closely together as what is known as a first and second line of defence. So generally, you will have something called three lines of defence and The first line is the operations team that I manage and we will work, um, we will all have a general knowledge about fraud and financial crime. Uh, We will also have some specialist teams, uh, so financial crime operations teams, fraud teams, uh, but we work then very closely with our second line colleagues like Lena in um, the risk uh, world and she will perform an oversight role, but also be able to be an advisory role as well and have a deeper knowledge on the, on the topic. So that works very well with us hand in hand, all being aware as an organisation of financial crime and important that people in operations can be on the lookout and be able to spot um, financial crime for customers or any suspicious activity.
0: And how are you sort of monitoring for suspicious activity? Are you relying a lot on sort of automated systems?
1: We use a combination of things. So I think in any financial crime function, actually your biggest um, and one of your strongest controls is your people. Uh, people and your talent uh, are what what is key to having an effective programme. So when it comes to investigations, there is an element of... Uh, cases where uh, information can be a little bit different and uh, human beings are really uh, essential to that process uh, and also does a little bit differently to how monitoring systems uh, perform as well in investigations.
0: And there was a reason for me asking that because in episode three of Banking in the Shadows, we had on regulatory consultancy lawyer, Jeremy Asher who challenges fraud markers loaded against customers by banks. And he particularly singled out challenger banks saying, because they don't have large fraud teams like your your big high street bank, they have a tendency to overly rely on automated tools and decision-making rather than properly investigating fraud alerts or red flags highlighted by automated fraud monitoring systems. So, are challenger banks overly reliant on automated fraud tools? And can that lead to innocent
2: people being debanked? I can start there, and Leela may add as well. But I think it's about striking the right balance, actually. I don't think having a necessarily having a large fraud team is going to be the perfect answer to preventing fraud. I think it's trying to find the right combination between human um, knowledge and interaction, complemented by good automation, good tools, good data. All of those things that will kind of help combat this. So for me, I mean, as we've seen, you know, in some of the bigger banks where they've got large resources of people, it hasn't necessarily prevented them having big fraud losses. So I don't think there's a perfect solution for this. We are all still learning. I don't think, I think an over-reliance on one or the other is probably the wrong answer. So it is about striking the right balance.
1: Lena, Yes, yeah, uh, I'd agree with that. And I'd also uh, say that in terms of the challenger banks, um, he said over-reliance on systems, I think it's probably a a misconception there because uh, I think what we do uh, differently is that we have access to systems and data. Uh, which help us move faster and make decisions quicker. Um, It still needs a combination of uh, human interaction and uh, a case-by-case review. Uh, And I think that's what challenger banks are doing.
0: Looking ahead, I guess, though, do you see that at some point, just purely because of the volume of accounts and, and customers as you grow and become a much bigger bank that there is going to have to be a reliance on automated solutions because there's no way that humans are going to be able to to monitor everything
2: i, I think that certainly at crew what we want to be able to do is treat our customers as individuals the challenge is therefore making sure I can see the wood for the trees as far as that is concerned, and it's therefore about harnessing automation, using it where appropriate to maybe take out some of the more standardised elements that normally would would create big backlogs in, or, or, in an organisation and mean that actually you weren't getting to the customers who really needed it. So I think it's about using automation in the right proportion. I don't think we should fear it. I think, you know, there is a lot of discussion around using AI as a strategy, all of those sort of things. I think we should embrace it and work out how it fits in your particular organisation. And that's exactly what we are doing at, at Crew.
1: Yeah, and I think this morning, actually, we were talking about an article uh, Angela sent over uh, about how AI and automation supports the, um, supports the efficiency and effectiveness of, uh, of the team. When you use them together and it's really well thought out, actually, it can improve your effectiveness in actually detecting suspicious activity or uh, finding the bad guys.
2: Yeah, indeed. It was a Harvard Business Review paper that talked about human and or, uh, human versus automation. And they'd done an interesting um, research around 750 staff at Boston Consulting Group, I think. And, and from that, they were able to see that actually on some standardised tasks, they could be done almost... The quality of those could be 40% improved based on kind of if they hadn't had that at their disposal. So interesting insight. We... Look and learn. We are embracing AI, but to be trusted and loved as an as a organization, we understand the value of human capital as well. And we make sure that we want to use that to treat the customers in our community as individuals.
0: Well, I'm sure customers will be relieved to hear that. Um, I guess there is some fear that we may be in a bit of a debanking crisis there were numbers published of over 300,000 accounts being closed every
1: year. Uh, Does that sound unusually high to you? For myself, no. I think anybody who works in the banking space uh, will understand that every bank has their own risk appetite. And you decide uh, as a bank, what is uh, within your risk tolerance and, and what is not. I think, where and there's been a lot of debate around is about whether this uh, decision on risk appetite is automated, or is there a human element. And you know, as we mentioned before, it's really important to have that balance. Um, you know, having that human review uh, after something's been flagged uh, is really key um, in that whole debate.
0: So let's move on now to the different types of fraud. Uh, that you may be seeing at crew, um, and one that I'm hearing a lot about is money muling, uh, and this is getting a lot of attention here in the UK and abroad. And according to UK's CFAS fraud database, money muling accounts for almost seventy percent of misuse of facility cases on bank accounts, with social media being a key enabler in the recruitment of mules, which are often young people or students whose bank accounts are then used to conduct scams, commit wider fraud, and other serious crimes, including people trafficking. Now, I noticed on Crew's blog, you had this sort of slogan, don't be a donkey or a mule, which I thought was quite funny, but there's obviously a serious story behind that. Um, You're giving advice to young people about how to, to protect themselves from mule herders and what to look out
2: for. How big a problem is money muling? It's a huge problem and of great concern as it should be. So yes, whilst we can maybe have a funny headline, it's a very serious issue that we take um, seriously at Crow. I think fraud losses accounted for something like 1.2 billion pound in the UK in 2022. So, um, and money muling was a significant proportion of this. And I think the scary thing is that people, and, and as you say, a lot of young people and specific groups such as t- students may not even be aware that they're targeted for this and become you know, unwittingly become victims and do not then understand the longer-term consequences of what that means. And so the blog that you reference is really part of us trying to educate a bit more and raise awareness
1: around uh, money muling and the issues with it. The other thing that's quite interesting about money muling is that uh, you do have two types. You have witting mules and you have unwitting mules. So witting mules are people who um, they have the knowledge that actually I might not be doing the right thing but I need to make money here. And you have the other type, unwitting, who actually they thought they were, you know, doing this as a job, or uh, they thought it was all legitimate. And one of the interesting things, a lot about the the research coming out with mules, is that actually it's a lot more uh, widespread than uh, we thought. I think we we do focus on students and young people because um, this is what the industry is reporting um, as the group that's being most affected. But actually, with uh, things like the cost of living crisis, everybody's looking for ways to make a little bit more money uh, on the side. So one of the uh, an interesting trend recently is the use of job adverts. Um, and that's not specifically just targetable um, young people or students. Um, older generations who are wanting to make extra income on the side are also being targeted um, criminals aren't fussy, they will use any avenue they can to, to move their money. Uh, and so it's really about educating your whole customer base and making sure that that education is tailored to each of those groups. And we we, at CRI, we have it very much as part of our strategy. Um, we have different things and pieces coming out. Um, so yeah, that, that's really what we're trying to do. That must be
0: really challenging though. How do you distinguish between unwitting and witting
1: it's difficult, <laughs> if I could put it as as plainly. And you know, going back to what we said earlier, that human uh, element is really key, and the investigation is really key. So having really Im- uh, robust processes in terms of how you investigate those cases, um, having really a good analysts who can speak to customers who may have been uh, witting or unwitting, or perhaps even a victim themselves, having that conversation as a human being i think is really key to helping us make that distinction um but yeah i, I think uh, it's definitely something that is is not easy
0: and obviously we're nearing christmas so i mean are you seeing a spike in any particular sort of types of fraud at this time of year
1: I think the industry is generally very aware at this time of year because uh, what happens with bad actors, they use anything to try and exploit victims. And when you have a period of time where people are purchasing more because people want to buy their gifts, um, they are going to target uh, the wider public uh, uh, and at a more frequent and more um, kind of restless pace. Um, So things like purchase scams are often quite common uh, in December or November, kind of leading up to the Christmas period. Uh, I mentioned uh, the job scams because people want a little bit of extra money. Um, You do tend to see increases around this time of year. But, uh, you know, we were discussing this earlier. uh, In other times of the year, you also see increases of other types of scams. So you really have to be prepared all the time. Are you
0: seeing any new types of scams that you haven't seen before?
1: No, most of them. (laughs) Most of them are uh, reworked versions of previous types of scams. There is an account. There is a victim that's targeted, and essentially they are wanted to move the money through those accounts. I think what's interesting about uh, the new, um, uh, more common scams or the scams happening uh, is that the bad actors are also leveraging technology to perhaps make it a little bit easier for themselves to to have that victim. Uh, so we've seen that in terms of like the use of deep fakes, we've seen that in terms of uh, technology being used to uh, impersonate others, um, and and that's the bit that's slightly changed. But um, it's not necessarily new; they're just using new tools around things like Black Friday, Cyber
2: Monday, you get certain types of fraud. So we get kind of parcel delivery scams, that sort of thing. Again, there's a a great blog on our website that refers to some of the scams that you'll see and what to do. It's about, you know, always make sure you're, Using strong passwords, you're regularly updating your software. You can take steps as individuals as well to mitigate that. But as Lena says, as much as we think technology can help us combat fraud, it's also there helping fraudsters be get better at their kind of their their discipline as well, if you like.
0: It almost seems like working in operations or fin crime, you almost have to be thinking like a fraudster. Is that is that what you have to do?
1: yeah it's it's exactly what we have to do um and in the in the think space and especially from like the the second line um perspective you know one thing that we we do on a regular basis is risk assessments so whenever you have a, a new product or a new feature, you know one of the first things i'm thinking about is how is this going to be used by a criminal. And and like I said, what they are trying to do is not new, but they do use new technology to support how they do it and to do it quicker. Um, so you do kind of have to put yourself in that seat and, and think about uh, you know how they may try to exploit that feature and then think about what controls could be put in place to make sure that doesn't happen.
0: Do you kind of feel like the with AI, which is obviously used to create deep fakes, that the genies out of the bottle... Uh, it's going to be hard to control this technology and presumably as it evolves and becomes more sophisticated, it's going to become more difficult to detect deep fakes or some other kind of fraud committed using AI. Do you think there needs to be some kind of charter or some kind of debate within the industry about, you know, how far do we go with some of these technologies?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, as I said, you know, as much as it, you know, we would want to harness the advantages of it, we're very aware that it can be used in, in a darker way. So I do think that there has to be some way in which the industry comes together and particularly on things like fraud. It's not something to be competitive with others about. It's a way to work as an industry together to combat it and work with specialist organisations to do that. And indeed for things like AI, um, I think the regulator has already announced a, a sort of sandbox environment that um, you know we're keen to be involved in that will help all the banks sort of experiment with how they can harness AI and, you know, for for good purposes to combat this. And then it it sort
1: of
0: goes back to this question, though, doesn't it? I mean, all banks are obviously trying to prevent fraud and stop customers being impacted by fraud. But how do you do that without negatively impacting customers?
1: I mean, is there some sort of secret source here? I think, oh, I wish, <laughs> I wish there was a secret source. Um, and we we used this word earlier, but I think what is really key is the balance. So balance in terms of uh, putting in enough friction that, uh, you know, you're not an easy target for uh, criminals to um, exploit. Um, but also making and focusing on the customer experience so that actually your everyday customer can use your product um really uh smoothly and and easily um i saw it summarized in a in a article recently um, with three E's, which is, uh, you know, making sure that you have your controls which are effective, um, you're still prioritizing the customer experience, um, and then you're also making sure that you have uh, efficiency in your uh, processes, so in your operational processes, and um, any time you kind of interact with the customer, I think if you can balance those three things, uh, it's it's really going to be helpful um, to do that. And I think it's
2: just worth adding that a lot of customers, as they're becoming more educated themselves about the dangers of fraud, are sometimes relieved when you do an extra check. They understand that, okay, that is for my protection. So, again, important for us to be communicating. It is really hard balancing it because you want to keep customers safe, but you want them to have a sort of frictionless journey as well when they're doing their banking. So it's a real tightrope that you're walking I'm sure we won't always get it right, but I mean, we, we, we work hard to make sure that we keep customers safe and also they can easily access their banking uh, in the right way.
0: Yeah, I had a bit of an experience of that myself. Obviously, looking looking for some higher interest rates, made a transfer from a traditional high street bank to one of the new digital challenger banks and the money didn't appear in the new digital challenger bank. And I think this was over a weekend. So I spent most of the weekend sort of thinking, where's my money? It wasn't an insignificant sum, but you know, it wasn't a huge amount either, but still. And it turned out my bank had, the fraud team in my bank had stopped the transfer because they thought it was suspicious.
1: Do you hear lots of these sort of stories? Yes. Yes, we do. And, you know, it can be quite scary when you're in that position. It happened to myself, you know, somebody in Fincrime, it happened uh, as well. And I think what's really happening is that banks are doing what they can to protect their customers. And so if that means there is, a, you know, your your payment takes a little bit longer to process because they want to ask you a few questions. This is what they're doing, um, and it happens on on both sides as well. So, from you know, if you were moving funds from a big bank to a, a challenger bank, and and vice versa, um, I think banks are all really committed to making sure that their customers' money is safe, and and sometimes that means it takes a little bit longer to to process that payment.
0: And I understand that Crew is setting up a fraud academy. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about that and why you're doing that?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, more broadly at Crew, we want to attract the very best talent in the industry to come and work with us. We take... A lot of time and effort over the people that we recruit, and are really lucky to have uh, amassed the team that we have today. We're about 250 um, people now at Crew. I think it was about 20 when I joined, so it's kind of growing quite fast. And as part of that, we also want, when we get into some more specialist areas, we want to recruit the very best talent and make sure that Crew feels like a place where you would come and work and you would really get some good experience in that particular specialism. And that's exactly what we're doing with our academy programme. And we've got it in a number of other areas. It's very early days, but we are looking to make it a good development route so that somebody can come and learn more about fraud and financial crime at Crew. Uh, get necessarily qualifications uh, and be supported so that we're recognised by our customers as really taking this hugely this important topic very seriously and that we've got the best staff that are going to keep their money safe.
0: So I sort of want to look ahead to the future now. We've we've spoken a little bit about AI, obviously, but let's delve a little deeper into the tech. And 2023 has been an interesting year for AI with rapid advances in, la- in large language models. So it'd be great to get an idea of how Crew is leveraging AI, either to enhance operations, customer onboarding, or combating financial crime.
1: Yeah, sure. So, in terms of how Crew is leveraging AI, I think I mentioned before, but um, data is really key when you set up any sort of AI um, tooling or automation uh, for any areas within the bank. So, whether that's uh, other operational teams or financial crime. Uh, and so, we're really on that journey or at the beginning of that journey in terms of seeing what we can. Uh, Do to help improve uh, not only the customer experience but also uh, help our analysts make decisions quicker, whether activity is suspicious or not. Um, It's definitely something that uh, we should embrace, and Crew is embracing. And yeah, we we're definitely on that journey um, at the moment.
2: More broadly, as part of our strategy around AI, we are working with a number of partners. Um, some early conversations, but doing some interesting pieces, looking at how we might harness it, particularly in fin in crime, but also to help improve our customer journeys more generally. Um, we've tested uh, a few aspects to do with um, chatbots and those sort of things. So a number of initiatives that we're working with that will really make sure that um I, I I think we're past the question of whether to embrace it or not. Um I think it's it's part of the tech strategy that we have, but we're taking uh, careful steps. We're working with the industry as I mentioned before, where we can, working with some partners. Um because I, I think actually with FinCrime tooling, it you know, there are some tools out there, but there's no um there's not been a, um, how can I say, a great sort of development on this area, great progression. So I think it is scope to improve. And, um, we, you know, so we're working with partners to develop that. And then also experimenting with a few things in our own customer journeys that so far are working well. And do you
0: think that it needs to be incorporated within your code of ethics in terms of the
1: governance of A.I.? Definitely. Um, And as somebody, again, working in the second line, this is kind of something that I've been working on recently. So what does the governance look like around the use of AI? Um, What are some of our key principles? Uh, And one thing about AI or, you know, some of the things that uh, have come up as a potentially negative impact of AI is bias for example and so i'm uh, you know very keen and very passionate about how we demonstrate that actually there isn't biasness uh, when you have uh, some other automated uh, machine learning models um, how do we know it's effective and again coming from a, a risk uh, perspective I, we want to know the controls are actually working are we actually finding the bad guys are we preventing that money from moving and so setting up that uh, governance framework uh, and uh, risk assessment of all uh, you know, the AI that we're using in the bank is something we're doing. Um, and, and particularly in the second line, it's, it's a, a focus for us at the moment. I think, you know, our strategy will very much be about
2: AI being complementary to the individual and human capital that we have, as opposed to the other way around. Um, And, you know, we are a fintech and technology is a big part of what enables us to provide the proposition that we are able to provide, which so far is, is being well received and we're growing our customers. But the human element of that is very important to us. Us. a lot of what crew is about is about the social aspects and community aspects and we hold true to that when it comes to all sorts of uh, all aspects of our strategy so so yes
0: but is there anything that you would like to have in your toolbox that you don't currently
1: have that's a good question <laughs> we've started the journey on a lot of these different types of tooling systems so um, I know they are to come. I know that they're in progress, um, but there, there isn't like a, a particular um, you know tooling I've seen. And like, oh, I, I, we wish we had this. Uh, as Angela mentioned, we we've started the journey for uh, the application of a lot of AI models in various areas of the bank. I think we just need to watch the space and, and plan and uh, continue having it in our strategy. Do you think there's anything that will make your life, uh, the life
0: of, you know, somebody working in fin crime a hell of a lot easier?
2: As Lena said, it's a combination of all things. But I think customer awareness and increased financial awareness uh, by customers is, is important because... As much as we can do from a banking perspective to protect customers, a big part of that is also individually, all of us being aware that fraudsters are always trying to get ahead of the game and be cleverer than us. And so having that awareness and making sure we're alert, we're aware of these things, nothing will kind of ever be better than that kind of awareness, I don't think.
0: You heard it here first, be aware, be alert. Well, look, thank you so much, Angela and Raffalina, for joining us. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks for tuning in to Banking in the Shadows.
1: Thank you. Thanks
0: thank for having you. us. Great. Thank you for listening to Banking in the Shadows, a monthly podcast available from thebanker.com, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.